We consider this conversation to be informative, positive and nurturing, but we acknowledge that there may be those who find this difficult in parts. Our priority is to ensure that as women we care for our well-being and there are resources linked to this episode on our website for organisations you can contact if you need help. Our website address is sfgpod.com. Hi and welcome to the Sisters, Friends and Guests podcast. In this episode we've got Caroline, Chrissy, and Jacqueline talking to our friend Tukumba Koiki. In this episode we're talking about something that we all suffer from but are reluctant to talk about and that's mental health. Let's jump into the conversation. Hi ladies. Hi. Hi. Excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Before we get into today's conversation on mental health, Tokumba, I wonder if we could start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, awesome. So my name, Tokumba, actually means somebody that came from over the seas in Yoruba, which is a language and a tribe from Nigeria. I was born right here in London, and my mom had this brilliant idea of taking me back to Nigeria as a baby, where I spent my early formative years and never, ever acclimatized back to British weather or British food. <laughs> Um, even though I've lived in England most of my life. Um, returned to London when I was about nine and I remember, you know, as a teenager I wanted to be a social worker. Um, actually what happened was a friend of mine mentioned having a foster sister and at the time I was like, what's that? That sounds so interesting. And I was like, wait, we do that in Africa. We do that in Nigeria. We just don't call it fostering. And that kind of led me into a path of wanting to become a social worker. But at the time when I finished school, you had to be 21 to do a social work degree. So I actually went and did psychology because, again, I had this very interesting way. You know, when you're young, your brain just reasons things so completely differently. I actually wanted to be a doctor, but I was told I didn't choose the right science pathway. So then I was like, okay, I want to be a psychiatrist. And it was like, yeah, you still need to be a doctor to be a psychiatrist. So 50-year-old told me, was like, okay, what rhymes with psychiatrist? Ooh, I know, psychologist. I'm going to go be a psychologist. And that's how I went to, that's how I chose my A-level subjects. um, So I went and did psychology with the intention of um, becoming an education psychologist. Um, And then I when I finished university, I worked in education for a few years because at the time to become an ed psych, you had to have a teacher's qualification. Mm-hmm. So I worked in education for a couple of years. I realized that, <laughs> can I be politically incorrect on this podcast? Yes, very welcome. Very welcome to speak your mind. In this country. And so for me, teaching was never going to be the one. <laughs> So I left education um, and then at the time the um, government changed the qualifications for social work to degree and there was a lot of incentive to get people into social work so I was like who a paid master's to fulfill my childhood dream why not so I went mm. to do um, social work now before I'd actually started my master's I worked in social work and so I, I worked as an un- unqualified social worker for a year and I was like, yeah, I don't want to be a social worker anymore. <laughs> but at the time, all the like future career aspirations I had, you either had to be a qualified teacher or a qualified social worker. So for me, I was like, well, if the government's going to pay for me to get this master's, why not? So I did my social work degree. And the old two years, I remember like my lecturers just used to shake their head at me because I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be a social worker. I'm being I'm doing this course, but I really don't want to be a social worker anymore. But yeah, today now, I'm, as I'm speaking with you, I am actually officially a social worker again. <laughs> <laughs> After having taken an unexpected career break, which lasted about six years. I have made a recent decision to return to social work. So in a nutshell, my story has been a little bit like a roller coaster, but social work is my first love. And, you know, I'm glad to kind of be back into it. In the six years that uh, (laughs) you were taking your your sabbatical from social work, you've also done quite a few things. I mean, you, you're well known in London for your cooking, right? Yes. So um, I actually, I'd say I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. When I was about 14, 15, my mom had insecure immigration status, so she wasn't able to leave the country. But my mom's always been a businesswoman. She's always been an entrepreneur. And she was like, one day she's like, okay, I'm going to send you to America to do the shopping for me. And obviously, as a well-polite African child, I wasn't going to argue. I was like, okay, fine. So she sent me off to, um, the first trip was to Chicago. 
And then a few months later, she's like, oh, you have uncles in, you have an uncle in New York. So I'm going to send you to New York. And so for me growing up, I always had a side also. Mm-hmm. Um, I always yeah. thought I was going to do fashion. And actually in the summer of 2015, when I was taking time out of um, social work, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a personal stylist because I've been doing this for so many years and, you know, informally with my friends and family. And everyone's always talking about how stylish I look. And then I accidentally started a food business. And so that's basically what I've been doing for the past <laughs> six years. But in the last yeah. year, I have become an accredited um, personal stylist. So for me, I truly believe that that there are three things that really shape who I am and that I feel passion and love. And those are food, fashion and fostering. So for me, you know, I love shopping and I love food. I love, um, I love the way food brings people together. I love the fact that I've connected with people and I've had so many amazing conversations around my kitchen because of food and fostering for me, because I love the notion of, you know, Ubuntu, you know, I am because you are. And if there's a way that I can help you to be a better version of who you are meant to be, then I want to do that for you. So, so yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Have you fostered children? I am yet to foster children. Well, actually, so I did a private fostering arrangement for my stepdaughter last year. Um, I am yet to be an official foster parent in British term. And the reason for that is because let's, I mean, I'm again, I'm just going to be politically incorrect. Racism. There's this nonsense law that exists that foster carers have to have a spare bedroom. And if you think about how many black African and Caribbean families, who has a spare bedroom to be able to foster children? But for me, I'm like, you have houses where you've got four kids in the same bedroom. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't need to have a spare bedroom to foster a baby, but this is a law that they have in place. So I truly believe that, you know, so that's been, you know, something that's really held me back. But then as my daughter, because I have a um, teenage daughter, as she's gotten Mm -hmm. older, I've also had to kind of think about what is the best time to foster children, bearing in mind that I'm going to be bringing in children who do have troubled upbringing into the home. And that could play yeah. an influence on my own daughter. So I've had to make certain choices about when I will do my fostering. So it's something that's definitely still on my to-do list, but it's not something I've officially done in this country yet. Mm. And, and so that actually just brings us neatly into mental health because you do have a lot of people who have gone through the system who suffer from a lot of mental health issues. Just before we discuss mental health generally, I wonder whether or not uh, we could just talk about how we ourselves have been affected by mental health issues, either uh, personally or whether or not through people that we've had to care for. And I just wanted to start with you, Caroline. Have you at all had any experience with mental health? Yeah, I think f- for me, it's um, both in that um, I have cared for people with uh, mental health and having come onto the other side, I've realized that I went through a period where I was almost trying to heal myself without understanding what was actually really going on with my mind. My family uh, were in a really serious car accident. And so we ended up losing quite a bit of my family in the car accident. And as a result of that, my uh, my nieces, who are now my, my children, the older one, uh, who is 10 years old, went through a lot of post-traumatic stress syndrome. And then, so there was a lot of stuff that I did at the time that put aside my grief and my healing because I was focused on taking care of the children, taking care of all the uh, the legal issues of all the administrative issues and you know and i remember i had an amazing gp who at that time said to me hang in there when you get to the three-year mark you'll finally be able to smile again and really mean it uh you know and she organized for me to get some grief counseling but even when i went for the grief counseling it didn't make sense to me at the time because my life was about making sure my family moved on to the next step and so I would have this counselor tell me you're not really talking about yourself you're talking she said she'd say you're bringing people into the room and I was like but that's what I'm dealing with right now (laughs) you know how you know how can I uh, live this as an individual and and so for me personally it's almost after managing once 
my nieces, at least the younger ones, were fine, were, were more settled and more resilient than in school. And I took a breath and I just um, ended up mentally having about probably um, maybe about six months off work which was my healing time. I didn't really think of it as that, but I'd, I'd reached a capacity where I could not manage anything else. But uh, the things that were important, which were caring for the children, I did. Um, I, I could not handle a problematic work situation. And so I effectively ended up healing myself. I'm a woman of faith, so that came into it. But it's now something that I understand, just like grief, I understand that that it's something that you have to take care of and it's something that you walk with um, throughout your life. And, and not all of us are out of the water yet. You know, another very close relative is really, really struggling. So I'm very aware of mental health and from every, every, every angle okay. and also aware of um, the need to keep walking through life with it and understanding that this is normal and this is natural and you just keep stepping. That's really harrowing story, Caroline. And I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that you're still doing what you're doing with the children. For me, in the African sense, I mean, um, my family, we were, I mean, we were extremely, extremely close and there is nothing that I'm doing that my sisters would not have done for me. So that's really the bottom line. If if we were, if we were switched around, they would have picked it up with not a problem. So that wasn't even an issue. But there were so many things at the time that meant I actually had to postpone my grief, postpone my healing. I made some decisions, um, picked up some jobs that I really shouldn't have. I was just I was just effectively on a career break from my profession, and I just needed to just keep going and and doing something which I thought would be really easy to do well and in the end ended up being a problematic job mm -hmm. <laughs> so i i have a lot of thoughts about the whole pandemic but i will step i'll, I'll leave aside and let chrissy um answer from her point of view oh so i'm going next <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes chrissy <laughs> so i've got a similar a story so my mum and my sister were both diagnosed with cancer like within the space of like six months wow. so my sister yeah. who was in Ghana she got diagnosed with cancer and then she passed away in like January 2019 wow. and then yeah. six months later my mum got di diagnosed with cancer and then she passed away in she passed away the year after mm. so so within like a yeah. space of like 12 months you kind of just everything's just a bit numbing like I just remember just not finding anything like absolutely nothing was enjoyable like everything yeah. was just so like monotone and yeah. I remember I had just started training in the creative industries and I was like really enjoying it and just as I was about to start another contract, I was told that my sister had passed away. And I was mm. like, there is no way that I'm going to be able to, like, concentrate in this field. Because, it, it, like, it's a lot of thought. Like, because you kind of have to do a lot of research and strategy and come up with ideas. And I remember when I first got told that my sister had passed away, I couldn't think. Like, I, my brain mm -hmm. was like a brain fog. Like, everything yeah. just evaporated from my brain. So I was just like, this yeah. is like the weirdest. And it's like the front of my head was like completely numb. And it was like that for mm. ages. And I was literally just like, oh my gosh, this is such a headache. I had to find ways to like really manage my mental health. So I used to go to like meditation weekly. I started going to them like on a really regular basis. And I started journaling a lot. So I used to like journal every night before I went to bed, just so I could get the thoughts out of my head. And then also I would, in that journal every day, I would write down like five things I was grateful for that day. And I keep yeah. on telling myself, I need to get back into the whole routine of journaling, um, mm. just because what I do as an entrepreneur, like having a tech startup is hard work and it does tax on your brain because you are looking at all your peers thinking, oh my gosh, everyone's like starting a family, buying a house. And here I am like, what on earth am I doing? Like I have that conversation at least twice a week with some of my friends. Now, I think through that experience, that gave me a lot more um, 
I wouldn't say resilience, but it made me realize how you can manage your mental health. At the time, I didn't even think to go to the doctors, to be fair. Like it was the last thing that I thought of. Like I didn't even think to go to the doctors just because I don't have that relationship with the doctor because every time you go in, you see someone different. So you don't necessarily yeah. have, like I remember growing up, I'd see the same doctor all the time. So you kind of built a rapport. But now where you're just seeing any old doctor who's free, I just find it a bit difficult to tell them like continuously what's going on. So I just found journaling and meditating was quite helpful it's probably there's probably other ways that I could probably manage it better and I probably will take up counseling at some point just because mm. I feel like it would help processing some of the emotions and stuff because sometimes especially at Mother's Day that is just the hardest time mm -hmm. everyone's yeah. like happy Mother's Day like and then you've got the UK version and the American version yeah, yeah. and every time you scroll you're just and I remember this Mother's Day was like super hard but the English mm. one sometimes you just so you just get a wave of emotions just like come okay. over you and I remember that day I just mm. literally got up and I was like oh, I'm going to the graves the gravestone and I just literally was like it was just because it was Mother's Day and everywhere I turned everyone's talking about mums and all the rest of that stuff and you don't want to be like mean and be like oh you guys are lucky but yeah. you kind of feel yeah. like oh you got other people who are like way older than me and they've still got their mums around you're like oh okay this is just what it is so mm -hmm. yeah yeah a different experience of Mother's Day in that my elder sister, when um, when she was alive, would send all of us presents. She was such a good gift uh, buyer. Mm -hmm. And she just appreciated all of us as being aunts to her children. So she would send us Mother's Day gifts based on that. And then we all made a fuss of Mother's Day. So that's why the British version is painful, just when I'm missing my mom. But um, I also remember the pleasure of, of, of somebody thinking, wow, you're such an amazing aunt. I'm going to honor you as also mothering my daughter. Yeah, so that's the way I've, uh, I, it's, it's a mixed day. It really is. I, so I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Tokum, what, why don't you tell us about your experience with um, mental health? Okay, so... Um... Obviously, as a professional, on a professional level, I've had lots of experience working and supporting people with mental health. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, I had this dream of being a psychiatrist and then turned to become a psychologist, then ended up being a social worker. And even whilst I was doing my training, I chose the mental health elective mm -hmm. simply because I'd always just had a fascination. When I did psychology, so I remember my one of my first psychology A-level classes I remember watching a video and it was a black woman and she was bipolar. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing like how she went from the extreme uh, manic of the bipolar to the depressive nature. And it was just such a like, a, is that even possible? Like it was just like my brain couldn't comprehend what I was watching. I think one thing I've always kind of feel that a lot of people don't understand is mental health is a continuum. So for most of us, we all have mental health and, you know, the optimum mental health that we want is to feel good, to feel happy, but then you have mental illness, which is a completely different thing to mental health. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of people don't understand. More recently, I personally have had to kind of support a family member with mental health and that's actually my teenage daughter. And it started a couple of years ago when I just thought it was just like, you know, she was getting older. It was like teenage angst. And then so she was just behaving out of character for her. And it got to the point where I was completely fed up. I felt like I didn't know how to get through to her. And so I was like, okay, do you know what? Maybe you need to go live with your dad. Because I've been threatening that if you keep acting this way, this is what's going to happen. And she did. And I remember... The night that her dad came to pick her up, I remember just being in tears, feeling like I'd failed as a mom. Cause I was like, I mean, obviously I was treading her all the time, but I didn't really want her to live with her dad. And so the next morning I went into her room and I was just looking around. And then my daughter was is very artistic. When she was younger, she used to have lots of paintings that she'd done on the wall in her bedroom, lots of just of her, her arts and craft. And then I saw something that was a bit like, okay, well, this is different and it's a bit dark and it was basically she drew an eye and he had blood coming down from the eye 
And so we're just kind of looking in her room and I basically found what can only be described as a bunch of suicidal notes. And I was like, this is serious. So I called her dad. Dad didn't have a, any understanding. His word was like, she's just a talented writer. I was like, no, this is a cry for help. This is, there's something deeper and there's something going on for her that we obviously didn't spot. And also I remember speaking with her and it was just like, she was just flat. There was like, my daughter was like, as a young, when she was younger, she used to cry all the time. Now all of a sudden it was like, she just was so detached from her emotion. Um, so that was in the summer of 2019. Um, she was part of the choir. They'd gone to, they'd gone on a trip to South Africa. And then I had some worrying things about how she was, you know, behaving while she was out there. I, and, and, you know, I've spoken to um, my, a friend of mine who actually was my supervisor when I was working in DC. And she remembers she saying to me, you need to take her to the hospital. And so when she came back from South Africa, I called the mental health service. And again, they said the same thing. So I took her to the hospital. She was admitted for, for two nights and then she was discharged. And it came to light that she had been feeling suicidal for about a year. And, you know, she'd had some issues in her primary school where she was bullied and again, had a lot of um, self-esteem problems that she was dealing with. So that was the summer of 2019. Um, she very quickly got into therapy. The CAMs in my local area at that time were very, very great. They picked her up very quickly. She had six weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy and then she decided to um, disengage. And at the time I actually did want her to continue because I felt that we hadn't actually really addressed the cause, the root issue that was causing her to feel the way that she was feeling. But mm. she was old enough to make a decision that she didn't want to engage. And the thing with therapy and counseling is if you are not ready to do the work, then there's just no point being in that space. Mm. So at that time I accepted for her to leave. And then, you know, I just thought because of my training and my background, I knew that I could do a little bit more work with her. And so that's what I did. And, you know, for the most part, things felt like everything was fine. Um, as I mentioned earlier, her older sister came to live with us. So at the beginning of the pandemic last year, her sister was actually living with us, you know, and again, I thought that that was a really great experience for both of them because it meant that we were able to navigate the pandemic together. And I was able to kind of like support both of them with the different kind of issues that they had. And then two days before Christmas last year, so this was 2020, she'd gone to her dad for a week. And then she came home and it was a Monday. And I remember very clearly because, you know, I was so excited because I hadn't seen her for like a week. And then it was like, oh yeah, we had made food together. We watched TV. We did what we always did. We spent time together. And she went to bed later on, I went to bed. And then all I remember was being woken up about five o'clock in the morning. And she was just like, mommy, I've taken all these tablets. And it felt like I was just like, is she making it up? Like, what do you mean? Like, you just, you just went to bed. You were happy. You were smiling. So what's going on? Um, so yeah, that was in December. So that was about five months ago. Um, so yeah, she received the diagnosis of depression and anxiety. And um, I felt that because she wasn't really able to open up and really talk about her emotions. And this is something that she's been dealing with for a few years. I felt that we were now at the stage where we needed to consider medication. Um, again, I had to fire her dad on that, but you know, he was able to eventually come on board with the idea. And since then, so she's been on antidepressants and sleeping tablets. Cause again, she wasn't sleeping, which was another reason why she was having, you know, that was um, ex exacerbating her depression and anxiety. Um, so she's been on medication since January and, you know, she is, there has been some improvement, but we're, we're not at the end of it. And mm -hmm. so for me, it's like, you know, that's why I said earlier on mental health is a continuum. Um, people who go on to develop mental illness, it's not something that once you have depression, doesn't mean you are depressed for the rest of your life. It just means that you will have episodes of depression at different points of your life that are triggered by different factors mm -hmm. um you know caroline and chrissy you both mentioned that you had you know your um caroline for example your nieces had ptsd and i'm sure part of that they probably had some form of that in depression which was brought yeah. on by bereavement which is a different yeah. type of depression that you feel when you actually just don't know what's going on a lot of times mm -hmm. people have a mental illness from childhood traumas 
Um, I know that almost every person that I've worked with in my professional life that's had some level of mental illness, it's usually been associated with their childhood abuse, trauma or neglect. Social isolation and loneliness also is another cause of mental illness. And for me personally, one thing that I've come to understand about myself is, although I've never received a official diagnosis, I've come to accept that I have what would I would describe as a I functioning depressive. So I get this moment where I feel really, really low, but you mm-hmm. wouldn't know it because I'm still go, 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 go. I'm still mm-hmm. working. I'm still getting things done. So a couple of years ago, I actually remembered I wrote a blog post about it because, you know, I remember being being an entrepreneur, when people say being an entrepreneur is like one of the loneliest journey you're ever going to go on. A lot of people really don't understand how much that means. And I myself didn't understand that. Um, As I mentioned, I became an accidental entrepreneur. It wasn't something that I initially planned. But once I decided this is what I was doing, I went into it full time and I gave it my 100%. But then what it meant was, you know, I was working on the business by myself and oftentimes there would be like days and weeks where I wouldn't speak to anybody apart from people on my social media. Like I literally Mm -hmm. would not have conversations with people. And I remember one day, it was a Friday and I wanted to go out and see a film or something. So I called my friend and she was like, oh, well, I've already made plans with my colleagues. And I remember at that time thinking, this is what's missing for me. I don't, I no longer have that network of colleagues. Um, A lot of my friends now Mm -hmm. live in different countries or different parts of London. So it wasn't so easy to just, you know, go hang out with my friends and just meet up with them. So for me, I was feeling very, very socially isolated and I was feeling very, very lonely. And so again, that kind of contributed to kind of my feelings of not having the best mental well-being for a long period of time. And even this year, kind of like dealing with my daughter's mental health and trying to support her, I felt like the first quarter of this year was like a bleep. I basically, I wasn't working. I could, I didn't have a, I felt like I didn't have a reason to get up apart from getting up for her. I just needed to kind of like make sure that she was fine and then I could kind of deal with me. So I completely understand what you mean, Caroline, about sometimes yeah. we, especially as moms or parental, people who have parental mm. um, caregivers roles, we often have to mm. pull our needs on old to be able to support mm-hmm. the children or the loved ones that we're supporting in that period of time. But one thing that I definitely tried to do was get back into therapy. Um, one thing I believe and I strongly, strongly advocate is everybody should go into therapy. Whether you've had trauma, whether you've had significant losses, whether you've had significant bereavement, whether you're fine, I feel like therapy is a space that we should all go into at some point of time. Better when you're doing well, because then that means when things get hard, you already have the coping mechanism to be able to deal with that. And when things are not going so well, then you have that space. And sometimes it can be hard to, you know, and I do appreciate that, you know, counseling therapy can be very expensive. I remember a couple of years ago when I wasn't working full time and, you know, as an entrepreneur, I didn't really have the kind of funds to be able to pay £50 an hour for a therapist. But then I found there was a local counseling school um, near me. And so I went there and the counseling sessions, because they were training counsellors, the counseling sessions were £5. I mean, that was an interesting experience because I did feel like I had more qualification than her. And so, and also because she was a white counselor, I felt like I wasted a lot of time having to explain certain things to her that I didn't have to do when I got my black female therapist who could just get it. Like she just knew the nuances. She knew the cultural things. So when you were speaking earlier on, for example, Caroline, you were talking about, you know, having to take in your, your nieces becoming your children and having to kind of take over that care you know as a professional I if I'm coming to assess you I understand what that means in an African context I completely understand what it means that those children those girls are now your children that's how you see them yeah so yeah I feel like I feel like I've now gone full circle in terms <laughs> of like professionally and personally where mental health is now very much a part of my everyday reality and yes. you know it's something that I will continue to always speak about and you know and my daughter does get annoyed with me when I talk about her mental health but I also want her to understand that there's no shame to it absolutely um, yes and as much as I try to respect yeah. her wishes of mm. what it means for her I also need her to understand what it means for me even the other day on Sunday 
just randomly logged on Twitter and another mom posted that, you know, her daughter, she had a ballet class and then they came home and then the next morning she'd come in, she attempted suicide. And I've seen mm. so many of those examples. And even within my network, when I've shared about what I've gone through, I've had four yeah. different moms all tell me they've had the same experience in the last year. So I'm so yeah. keen that in our community, we break that barriers and we talk about it and we have our children and young people understand that, you know, it's okay to not feel okay. And if you don't yeah. feel okay, it's okay to talk about not feeling okay. And it's okay. And I need for my daughter to understand that there's times when I don't feel okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Until you um, shared that uh, article about being a highly functionally present, I could have, you know, said, you know, I, I don't have any mental health issues at all. I'm fine. Because I've gone through a really, really tough period. Uh, to be honest, up to now, I can't explain it. I've just come back from a really fabulous holiday, spent 21 days away mm -hmm. in the sun, really enjoyed myself. And then sure. two weeks after I got back, I, I just couldn't function. I, I used to cry on the way to work. I would get mm -hmm. into work and I wouldn't want to speak to anybody. And mm -hmm. that went on for a good month and a half. I mean, my closest mm -hmm. friend, I used to snap at him so, so often. Eventually, he just stopped calling me. <laughs> so yeah. then I was just stuck here by myself trying to work out what, why is this happening? And I couldn't, for the life of me, understand what was going on. But then just after reading that, article that you shared I was like oh this is what I've been going through actually I'm, I've been going through a bit of a depression right so yeah, yeah. Up, up until then I mean I, I couldn't articulate it I couldn't tell you why I was crying but so so I think sometimes actually we always think that you know there has to be some huge trigger but actually sometimes it's not mm. something huge as I said for me I up to now I don't know why I went from having this really fabulous holiday and then coming back and then going back to work and then this happening to me. So I think sometimes, sorry, Karen. I, I think it's also what we have to give ourselves is grace because sometimes yes. it is the life sum of things that kind of just, yes. you know, it keeps on building on top Builds of up. each other. Uh -huh. And I don't know why it is, but I've actually read that as you come closer to the age 40, sometimes it begins, it's like you you have maybe your ability to keep on hanging on or wanting to do it just leaves you. And I don't know body shuts down and you know you have to do it. Please, take it back. Take it. <laughs> no, but Chrissy, you have the no, chance now to actually get your counseling in place. You know, this yes, is one true. of the points I wanted to say is that I'm, I'm hoping that one of the positive things from the um, pandemic is about people being able to have counselors that they can have sessions with online will continue yes. because that was another big thing about, especially if you have children or you have other commitments, uh -huh. how do you make your way to a counselor for a face-to-face -face session? Uh, I still really think that the face-to-face -face is good, but maybe that's just for an introduction and, yeah. to, and to gel. And then yes. after that, carry on with an online presence that you keep getting the help that you need mm -hmm. and i so agree with you Tukumbo, that you, it's it is it is it has to be everybody's experience we all have to do this i know i have seen the difference with my nieces and they're going to live a different life than i have yes. because they're going to walk through life knowing that it's normal Okay, I'm struggling. It's time for a referral. Let me self-refer. It's just like it's a completely different experience than I had where, you know, maybe like Jacqueline, you're just kind of you're surprised at life. I'm like, yeah, it's the sum total of stuff that kind of just hits you at this point yeah. when you probably just finally relaxed. You probably yeah. had the most wonderful holiday. Everything was built in and you had the space in your soul to deal with it, to deal with everything that you'd been carrying for years. Ironically, the conversation that I had with Shirley, who's a counsellor, she uses yeah. your example that people think they need a holiday because they need a refresh, but they actually just need to discuss it with someone. It was really interesting to hear because she said a lot of people go on holiday and they come back and don't feel any better than they did when they left or they feel worse 
and it's because they haven't got the right coping mechanism. So you're giving yes. yourself time to breathe, but you haven't given mm. yourself the resources or the tools to like better manage the situation when you come back. But um, mm. leading on from what Tokumbo said, yeah. there's this platform called Black Minds Matter. And their basic role is to connect more black individuals and family at, um, to counselling. And it's a free service. So it's basically mm. just blackmindsmatteruk.com. But their goal is to get more black people into um, counselling services. I think when I spoke to them or contacted them, they said that they were oversubscribed and they don't have enough capacity to deal with like everybody that's asking for the support. So there's yeah. obviously like a major need for it. It's just mm. it's just an underserved community in the healthcare system, like always, which is mm. black and brown people. But yeah. Just touching on that, um, uh, Chrissy, actually, um, statistics around um, black mental health are quite harrowing. <laughs> so I was yeah. reading um, a report by Mind. Black women, apparently, we suffer substantially more mental health issues than the average mm -hmm. white woman. In fact, the study by the Adult Psychiatric Mobility found that 29.3% of black women are likely to have a common mental health disorder. And the figure for white women is only 20%. And then when it comes to treatment uh, and support, only 6.5% of black women get support, whereas 14.5% of white women get support. Now, I mean, I was quite surprised by those figures. And the, the other thing that stood out was that when we, as black people, when we get to a stage where we are seeking help or we are given help, we come in through the criminal justice system. So when we present yeah. as black people, when we go to the GP, you go to the doctor, you go, when you go to seek help, our issues are minimized and we're basically not taken seriously. And so I've, I found that quite disturbing actually. Um, but also that comes to the point that you made Tokumbo about seeing this counselor who was white and didn't really understand where you're coming from. And I wonder whether or not that's one of the things that puts us off seeking help. The fact that no one will understand us, uh, the whole racism thing. I mean, that definitely plays a big part in it. But I think even before people even get to that stage of putting up that as a barrier, I think one thing that Caroline demonstrated in her example, for example, is the fact that as Black people, we're often in survival mode. And I think yeah. that's why so many of us were so prepared for the pandemic, because we spend most of our lives having to prepare to survive. We've had to migrate to a new country, a new land, had to learn new languages, had to learn new cultures, had to learn new ways of being. So for us, we are constantly at a survival mode. Um, I remember when my marriage broke down over a decade ago, and again, at the time, I did not think I was depressed. I thought I was, you know, coping, but then I realized I went through the five stages of grief over my marriage mm. breaking down and you know but at the time I remember consciously saying to myself I cannot afford to break down who's going to look after my daughter like I yes. just can't so when you're talking about statistics and the difference between black men women and white women you know you know black women often have to put on this strong cape thing because if I don't look at if I break down or if I have to take time out to look after myself who's going to look after my family who's going to support my um people so a lot of times we don't even give ourselves the grace and the opportunity mm -hmm. to ask for help we take yeah. on so much and we mm -hmm. do so much because we think that we are invincible we think that mm -hmm. okay do you know what my mom did it so i definitely can do it Again, that actually a lot of our moms did it in a communal environment. They did it with support. Yes. We don't have yes, that same level support. of support. Yeah. The support that we have, we have to pay for that support. And then when we're looking to pay for that support, if you have to pay a thousand pounds for childcare, you're going to be like, I need to find a job. So then while you're working yeah. to get support mm. to help you with your childcare, your mental health is suffering. So that's why I thought, you know, when I said earlier that, you know, therapy and counseling is something that people should consider at different various stages of their life and not necessarily mm. waiting until things have gotten so bad. But I do mm. feel that, you know, the cultural nuances of having a therapist or a counselor that looks like you that understands you. Mm -hmm. So for example, mm. like, you know, you don't want to go into a therapy session and have to spend 15 minutes explaining what woke 
means mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. what woke means that's a terminology in the black community you you know so things like that but i think also you know i think also a lot of people in our community don't look into qualifying as therapies as counselors yeah. as you know going into those you know services so it's a it's it's like i said in terms of the fostering you have systematic systemic racism on one hand mm-hmm. which holds us back but we also have ourselves where we don't look at looking at things so caroline when you talk about your nieces now have those twos yes that's what therapy does that's what counseling does that's what having emotional intelligence does it gives you the twos yeah. to be able to say mm. actually things are not okay for me right now so earlier on this yeah. year when i was not in a good place you know i knew mm. that part of that was because i wasn't being productive and I knew that, like I said yeah. earlier, because I'm a functional depressive person, yeah. if I'm low, I need to be working. I need a distraction. I cannot <laughs> focus. Yeah. And as much as I'm speaking to my therapist, it's like I'm doing the work myself. I mm-hmm. journal every, almost every morning. So I like mm. I, even some of my therapy sessions is like I go in and after like maybe four sessions, I'm OK again because I don't need that high level of intensive work that most people yeah. do because I have those coping strategies. I know how to do the self-care. I know when I want to be by myself and I don't want to be disturbed. I know that I'm mm. also I'm, I'm extroverted. So I need people's energy. So I know when I'm like, yeah. do you know what? Mm. I need to be around people. Who can I call? I know how to reach out to community, people in my community to say, hey, mm. I'm struggling right now. You know, I just need somebody mm. to like, I just need to vent. So for me, it's about, you know, people need to, whether you're at a point where you can access counseling or therapy or not, like um, Chrissy said, you can start doing some of the work yourself. Mm-hmm. I started running yes. last year. I started running June last year. Now, I tried running a couple of times before, never quite got it. Now I'm that person <laughs> who accidentally ran an AF marathon. And I see the difference with my mental yes. health when I started running. I now I yeah. I just booked to go hiking with Black Girls Ike a year ago. I was not that person. I was not that person. Now I'm like, please, I go into the woods and I feel this sense of serenity yes. and this sense of peace that I just don't get anywhere else. So now I know that okay, do you know what? If I'm having a bad week, I'm just gonna get up early that morning, the next morning, and I'm gonna go for a walk in the woods, mm-hmm. and that's gonna have a calming yeah. effect on me. The same way I probably yeah. would do if I need to speak to a therapist. So, you know, you can just go for a walk, like literally leave the music, yeah. but do meditation. There's so many things and there's so many ways that, you know, as a community, we can start helping ourselves. But ultimately, we need to start talking and breaking down the taboos and the barriers that a lot of people have. A lot of people yeah. have a lot of myths about mental health. A lot of people have yeah. a lot of myths about medication so for example a lot of people were questioning my decision for my 14 year old daughter to go on meds and i said if i told you my daughter had cancer and i'm gonna give her i'm gonna get her chemotherapy you would not even question Mm -hmm. and so when Mm. your body has a cancer and needs to fight it you don't even question Mm. you don't even stop to think should i be doing chemotherapy Mm. well some people do but for the most part most people would have said that that's a natural part of the treatment that they need to go through so why wouldn't i do that mm-hmm. for your mind mm-hmm. and when you think about yeah. your mind is the most precious thing and and i feel like you know people still have so little understanding of how the brain and how mm. our mind works and again you mentioned about yeah. your soul caroline and i think again you know and whether you are a believer of any religion or whether you're spiritual i think one thing we can all mm. agree is we all have a soul and the way our yeah. souls takes as absorb things and the way sometimes we want to just get rid of that mm-hmm. you know yeah Jackie you mentioned going on holiday for three weeks and you were at peace and then you came back and that's your soul telling you I'm not happy mm-hmm. this reality that we yeah. have in this land that's not what I want for us that's not mm-hmm. what I want from you and that's your mm. and you might not have understood that but that's basically why you were having to break down in tears because your soul was telling you no. I wasn't happy. So yes, I eventually got there, but it, but it took me a while to actually understand and, and figure out what was going on. And, and unfortunately, mm. most of the time it does. I, I want to come back to some a, a couple of things that you 
all mentioned. Now, Tokumba, you said you've got a support network. You've got people that you pick up the phone and you call and, you know, you, you talk. I wonder whether or not Chrissy mm-hmm. and you, Caroline, whether or not when you were going through what you were going through, you felt like you could talk to people. Because one thing I find is that within the black community, there's a, there's this whole stigma about mental health. We don't like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, we we mm-hmm. kind of like to sweep it under the carpet and pretend that it's not happening. So I wonder whether you had any support from your families or your extended networks. Uh, if I could start mm-hmm. with you, Chrissy. I would say more so from like friends mm-hmm. and I could just vent. And some people were just really great at just letting me just be in their space and I could just sleep and I didn't have to talk too much because sometimes you don't want to talk. It's just the mental exhaustion of it as well. Like I started looking at everything around me and then everything seemed to feel like it was collapsing. But it's not. It's just because in that moment in time, everything seems to be so far removed from reality. You're just like, what on earth? But at different Mm. times, there were different people I could communicate with or just some people are just really good at listening. And and how about you, Caroline? Did you have any support? Did people understand what you were going through? Did you feel that you could talk to people? Yeah, I did feel I could talk to people. You know, like Tukumbo, I'm actually very extroverted and I was able to ask for help. Uh, But uh, one of my siblings, my brother, is... He's sort of a mix of introversion and extroversion. And for him, it, he was able to take care of all the business stuff and everything. But to speak about his pain and to ask for help, that was something that he wanted to try and sort out by himself in his mind. So I guess what I just want to add to this bit is that you have to work with your personality and the way that you've been designed, you know, and and some of us, we are external processors. Some of us need to think about it for a while. Maybe then maybe journaling might be a good tool. I mean, for every single person, there is a tool that will suit the way you are yes. and that will ease this pain. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you really do think about it, it is a pain. It is a pain on your soul and on your spirit that then comes out in different ways. And sometimes will come out in an illness okay. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it might come out in a, in a physical illness or it might come up in like suicidal thoughts. So you literally have to come to some sort of healing mm-hmm. and, and find the tool that will work for you. And sorry, just echoing one comment that Tukumbo said earlier about how she was walking. I'm a strong proponent of what people uh, traditionally did. Um, So within the African sort of, I would say roughly the African culture, wherever it is as a Pan-African thing, we would always get together as groups to talk. Mm -hmm. And definitely East African, it's more like in a party, it's groups of women talking, groups of men talking. But there would be that kind of support within the system. You always talk. And then, you know, like I know my both my grandmothers, you know, were hardworking women who walked a lot, who worked the farm. You know, so this is the type of thing we walked, we, 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 we used physical activity to release the stress and the stuff of life. And those are all things that we just have to recognize now in the world of computers and sitting for eight hours to work that, hey, you just need to get out there and pound the pavement. You know, or like you said, forest, you know, for me, oh, I'd love to go to the beach. I feel as if I, once I hear the waves, I've solved a lot of life's problems. So just find what it is, but seek that help, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to point out that one thing that I feel that sometimes when we talk about mental health, and I think, you know, as much as I completely agree with everything you've said, Caroline, and I know that for me personally, it's definitely worked. I think that there's some mental illnesses that you just cannot walk your way out of. So you, if you no, have diagnosis true. of borderline personality disorder or your, you know, bipolar or your schizophrenia, no amount of meditation, no amount of prayers is going to make a difference. It's a mental illness. Right. Our, our issue is that we have to be diagnosed with the right thing so that we're not pumped full of chemicals for the wrong uh, mental health diagnosis. So I want to uh, finish off. If all of us could just come up with one piece of advice for someone who may not be feeling up to it right now, someone who may be feeling depressed, someone who may be feeling down, or someone who's actually feels that they have a mental illness and needs to seek help. If we could just all come up with one piece of advice that we could give to that person. 
Um, I would say start off by trying to write down, like do a diary for the week. You know, jot down what each day felt like for you. How did it feel? Maybe you might be able to identify some trigger points. And maybe you had a difficult conversation with your mom or your sister or sibling that really um, triggered something in you. Um, and then I would definitely strongly, strongly suggest contacting your GP um, or contacting your local mental health services. If you have a group of friends, a family, reach out to them. Um, Twitter. I mean, I love Twitter because Twitter for me is like my, it's my, it's my therapy. Like I dump everything on Twitter and I have curated an amazing timeline of people on Twitter who respond to me and give me the support that I need. So for me, you know, even if your friends are on social media, definitely reach out to ask for help. And it's okay not to feel okay. Mm -hmm. I was just saying, it's okay not to feel okay. We all have that Mm -hmm. moment. And Caroline? Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely echo all that and I would say um, it's okay if everyone um, will have low days, but if you are feeling significant distress, if you are having any suicidal thoughts, reach out for help very quickly because your life is really precious. Okay, and Chrissy? I think I echo what everybody's saying. I think the most important thing to do is find someone who you can just speak to, anyone, and at least tell someone how you're feeling. It could be a friend, it could be contact someone online who doesn't know you, there's apps, there's numbers you can call up, just so you can, even if you don't wanna speak to your friends and family, just speak to someone who doesn't know you and then at least get it out. Cause sometimes the most important thing is just getting it out. And if you don't get it out and you just null over it in your head, that can make it a lot worse than it actually is. So mm-hmm. it's important, even if, you're not 100% sure, just speak to someone. There's apps where you can go and talk to people anonymously for like free, like all what Takungo says in regards to um, Twitter, just tell someone because Mm -hmm. someone's always going to be there to listen. And I just want to round off all the advice that you've given to just mention uh, a couple of organisations you can contact. So Chrissy earlier on, you mentioned Black Minds Matter. Yes, they don't have any space right now, but I'm pretty sure going forward, they'll be creating more space for people to get in touch with them. And there's also another organisation called Orange Moonwell. That's a group of black therapists. And finally, there is the Black African and Asian Therapy Network. That's where I found my therapist. Oh, is it? Well, there you go. Please, uh, I would say that just get in touch with them. If you feel that you're distressed and you feel that you can't speak to your GP, then those are the options that are available there for you. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We can talk about this for so much longer, but we've run out of time. So I just want to um, finish yeah. it by asking Tokumbo, if listeners want to get in touch with you and want to know more, how do they get in touch with you? So the best way you can connect with me is on Twitter, um, where I spend far too many hours of my life. You can find me at Toxic27, that's T-O-K-S-Y-K-27. You can also come over to the Tokumba Chronicles podcast, where I will be sharing interesting and entertaining and educating stories about myself and so many other inspiring people. Or you can also follow me on Instagram at Styled by Tox. I'm going to be adding all the contact details onto the episode notes. So if you didn't get any of that, you can just have a look at them online. We've had such a great conversation and I think it's something that we'll probably come back to discuss because I feel like we've only just scratched the surface of mental illness. And so I think we'll really have to come back and talk more around this issue. So thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Chrissy. And thank you so much, Takumbo. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. We'll, as I said, add the contact details for Takumbo onto the episode notes and on our website, sftpod.com. And please send us your comments or questions or any feedback that you have. Our email address is sfgpod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search for sisters, friends, and guests. Till next time.